morning, church family. We're going to be reading out of uh, the book of John today, chapter 13. So if you want to turn there with your Bibles, and we'll start with 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garment and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, to betray him, and that was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, he put on his outer garment and resumed his place. He said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread and lifted his heel against me, I am now telling, I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I, I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. The disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. One of his disciples, who Jesus loved, was reclining at the table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is he whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, What you are going to do, do quickly. Now now no one at the table knew why he had said this to him. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, Buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out, and it was night. When he had gone out, when he had gone out, 
Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God is also glorifying him who himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, and also are to love one another. By this all the people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus answered, Will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, just, uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life and um, the truth in it, Lord. And we just ask that you open our eyes to see what you have us to see and open our ears to hear what you want us to hear, Lord. I just pray that uh, blessing over Jackie as he brings forth your word, that it'll just ring true in our hearts, Lord, and it'll become part of us. And that we will go out and unite as a church and be the light for the world that desperately needs it. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we have opportunity to continue uh, our journey through the Gospel of John. We find ourselves in the second half of John 13 in a section of the Gospel of John that deals with Jesus' farewell addresses. And so, <clears throat> we are in the darkest night that uh, maybe history has ever known. And we find ourselves just finishing up the Last Supper. We see the, the reality, right, of Jesus washing the feet of the disciples, of him expressing that attitude, right, of servanthood and of servant leadership, laying that out before them all. And then we pick up our, our section this morning in verse 18. So we're going to be looking at that today. We're going to take a look at this prophecy that we see laid out before us. He says, I am, verse 18, I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. And there's a few things I want us to pick up out of here, but one of those things is this. I, I love this phrase. I know who I'm, I know whom I have chosen. All 12 are chosen by Jesus, right? After he spent all night praying, then he went out and he chose 12 disciples, one of which we knew uh, was going to be a betrayer. You and I, we know the end of the story before the story begins, right? So we know that Judas is going to betray the Lord. We've heard the gospel many times. But for them, they, they didn't. But Jesus wants them to know a lot of things are wrapped up in this little phrase. And a lot of times what we do is we focus on Judas. Don't miss the reality that he said, I know whom I have chosen. 
At the end of the chapter, he's also going to be talking to who? Peter, right? Does he know, does he, the Lord wants us to understand that God is intimately aware with who we are. You can come to church. I know I'll just use our family in the old days as an example. We had three boys who never liked to wake up. The good news is now they are in their 30s and they still don't like to wake up. We all have character flaws, right? So we would fight with the boys, get in a car. Somehow, somewhere in that fighting with the boys to get into the car, me and Kathy would start a fight. We would fight in the car all the way to the parking lot. We'd pull into the parking lot about something like, uh, all right, stop, stop, stop. We're in church now. (laughs) We'd pull into the church, stop the car, get out the car, and everybody be smiles. (laughs) You may be able to fool everybody else about what's going on in life. But the Lord wants you to hear this phrase. I know whom I have chosen. He knows your character flaws. It is not a weakness to admit. We have those things. I know your character flaws. I know whom I have chosen. And so the Lord wants us to understand that. In, In John 6, verse 70, he said this. Jesus answered and said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is the devil. In John 15, 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Now, who's Jesus talking to? He's talking to his disciples. We all read the story, didn't we? Jesus went and found them one by one by one, and he said what? Come, follow me. That's right. Come, follow me. So, he said, Whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. John 17, 16. He said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. They are a part of that unique calling that the Lord lays out upon them. Ephesians 1.4, probably one of the more common phrases we may look at verses. He says, even as he, the Lord, Jesus Christ, even as he chose us in him. Everybody likes to leave that phrase out. I'm not sure why. He chose us in him, and then before the foundation of the world, before the world began, the Lord chose to save those in Christ Jesus for what purpose? That we should be holy and blameless before him in love. We're holy and blameless in him, uh, in love, before God, because Jesus, the righteousness of Christ, covers us. We have character flaws. We all fail. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, a righteous man will fall seven times and rise again. It doesn't say a righteous man never falls. He never makes a mistake. He never finds himself in the flesh. He never finds himself carrying on with ways or saying things he shouldn't say. He never says that. We need to recognize and, and comprehend and understand that this is a part of who we are. And I guess as we, as we think about that today, we're going to be talking about our year in the, the state, what do we call it? The state of Calvary Chapel Buell, primarily 
focuses on our financial stewardship. So we keep open books. So you, you look. There are no secrets. You can, you can find out everything. Ask the right questions. Look on the right pieces of paper. Our financial reports are like 49 pages long. So usually we have to have an interpreter there to interpret. And, uh, and that's what Phil does for us. But spiritually, when we talk about Calvary Chapel Buell and our goals, we do have a vision statement. I think it's important every once in a while to remind ourselves of what that is. What, what is our goal? Our goals were set forth this way. We are pledged as Calvary Chapel Buell to build up the broken. So if you're not broken, you're not going to like it here. <laughs> this is first church of the broken. The church of those with character flaws. The church where Jesus can say, I know who I chose. I know what's going on. And there are several things we try to focus on here. This is our goal. Why, we, why do we have a daycare and preschool? Why do we have uh, the different things that we have, the different ministries that we have? What are they all about? This is what they're all about. Number one, to understand that the Bible is a final arbiter and authority for our daily life. Because one of the ways you build up the broken is through discipleship. And there's no way to disciple without the word of God. You could disciple me to be a good heating and air guy, maybe. If I walked around, followed Robin everywhere he went, I might become a, a good heating and air guy. I might be very kind and loving like Robin is to all the people that he bumps into. <laughs> may not be grumpy like me. Maybe my grumpy will, will rub off on him, I don't know. But the point of discipleship is what? We want to be like Christ, yes? And we do that by studying the word. We want to build up the broken to grow in the knowledge of God's grace and the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ by studying the word of God, by prayer and in worship. This is how we as a church are building up the broken. We want to build up the broken to overcome the destructive hurts, hangups, and habits that so easily ensnare us. I've shared before, I, I know a lot of people have opinions, and I honestly don't care about any of them, <clears throat> about a variety of things we do, but one of the things I love, I absolutely love about Celebrate Recovery is that Celebrate Recovery, my identity is in Christ. My identity is in Christ. That's what I have to hold on. My identity, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, and I struggle. Is there somebody in here who can't say that? I'm a believer in Jesus Christ and I struggle with, you fill in the blank. It doesn't matter what it is. This is how we build up the broken. We're building up the broken so that we can challenge the culture that is in rebellion against God. Is the culture in rebellion against God? Stay tuned. But we, we don't do it, honestly, we're not going to accomplish anything by by any of the monkey business that has been going on lately, the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Has no, no, no 
point in how much ammo you have. You don't have enough ammo. There's 80 million people, at least, hopefully, maybe there were, uh, that voted for the president that is elect, uh, our president, Joe Biden, who I am uh, fervently praying for. Uh, just as I was for Trump, I, ho I hope that he is, uh, ends up being a good president. I want to, uh, the Bible tells in Jeremiah to pray for the peace of the city you find yourself in exile in. Uh, I'm in exile in the United States of America. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to abide by all his, his rules, the things he calls me to. So I'm in exile here. That's not what this place is about. This nation is not about that. I'm in exile, but the Lord says, in exile, pray for the peace of the city, for in that peace, you'll find peace. So we want to make sure that we continue to do those things, engaging the culture, even though we're broken. We're to go into the world and make disciples of all nations, right? This is the job of the church, ladies and gentlemen. That's the job. Make disciples. Spend time with people. Engage with one another. Share in the word. We're building up the broken to support the poor, the needy, the widow, the orphan, which we still do and will continue to do so. And finally, we build up the broken, building opportunities for friendship that the body of Christ might learn to dwell together with one another in love. This is the goal of Calvary Chapel Buell. That's why we study the words, why we have women's studies, why we have men's studies. It's why we do the variety of events that we do. This is the end goal. This is the purpose to what we're trying to accomplish. And it comforts me to know that Jesus can say, I know whom I have chosen. I know you. But Jesus goes on after that phrase, right? He says, but the scriptures will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. This is a section of foreshadowing. Oftentimes we, we point to foreshadowing in the Bible. We call it prophecy. It's not necessarily a prophetic word. It's a prophetic foreshadow. The Bible tells us that King David, through King David would come the Messiah, the Mashiach Nagid, the one who was to lead his people. And so when we look at the life of David, there are many things in the life of David that become shadows of prophecy. One of those things is a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel. Say that three times fast. Uh, <laughs> everybody who reads on Sunday morning, they ask me ahead of time, names? Is there any names in there? One of these days, I'm going to give somebody 1 Chronicles chapter 1, maybe chapter 1 through chapter 9, because there are so many brutal names in there. Anyway, I digress. Ahithophel. Ahithophel is an interesting story because he was the most trusted advisor, and it turns out he was the brightest counselor in Absalom's rebellion. In fact, if Absalom had listened to Ahithophel, Absalom would have been king and David would have been put down. But Absalom did not listen to Ahithophel. 
Ahithophel was the most trusted counselor with David. And when Absalom, David's son, rebelled against him, Ahithophel joined the rebellion of Absalom to bring David down. And so David writes about it in Psalm 41. In Psalm 41.9, this is what he wrote. Even my close friend in whom I trusted who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. The picture is the picture of being kicked by a donkey. If you've ever been in Israel, you've seen them donkeys. Those donkeys, first off, when you look at them, you'll say, I don't ever want to ride that, part one. And the second thing you're going to say when you see that is that's the scruffiest, meanest looking creature on the face of earth. No, all animals are pleasant. Sure, yeah. Walk up behind a donkey then. Could be your trusted donkey. You feed that donkey every day. The donkey walks up and you just handing it fistfuls of grain and an apple. He's all happy. Yeah. And then you get behind him and he'll lift up his heel. Right? There's all kind of videos on YouTube you can watch guys get kicked in across the world by them. Donkeys, horses. The point is, hey, hey, that was unexpected, right? Ahithophel betrayed David. In a picture of foreshadowing, we see that illustrated. David writes about it. Jesus quotes it and says, this is going to happen to me. One of my own will betray me. Here's what you also need to know about Ahithophel. He's a grandpa. How many grandpas we got in here? He's a grandpa. That's right. That's right. He's a grandpa. You know who his granddaughter was? Bathsheba. Seems like there was a guy named David who killed her husband. Uriah the Hittite. You remember? Life is a circle. If you sow to the wind... Now, what was sown to in David's life in Christ is not, right? We have a betrayal coming of Judas, this betrayal that's going to be laid out before us. Scripture goes on as he continues to describe it. I'm telling you this now, before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that ego I me, that I am. You may believe that I am. The John... The Gospel of John is written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The point and the purpose is to all point to the deity of Christ. Christ is saying, I'm going to tell you before it happens so you'll know. When it happens that I am he. Verse 20, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. You have the and the conclusion of the pericope in uh, an inclusio. So that everybody understand what that was all about? Perfect. I don't have to explain it. In verse 16, John 13, 16, you have the beginning of the inclusio. Picture it like a bracket. You have a bracket in verse 16, and you have the ending bracket here that we just read. Uh, what did we read? Verse what? 20. So you have the beginning and the end separates this section so that we can understand what it is that the Lord is focused on 
here in this section. In verse 16, it began with, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. So you have Jesus talking constantly about his oneness with the Father, their unity together, their unity in salvation, the unity of the triune God functioning and working together. He ends the section by saying to his disciples, now I'm going to send you out. Why is he telling them that? Because his departure is at hand, right? It is that night. Look at verse 21. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. That word troubled, the same exact phrase Jesus used in John chapter 11 when Jesus saw Mary and Martha weeping, the people weeping at the tomb of Lazarus. He said he was greatly troubled. Same word. Greatly troubled. His, his uh, uh, I guess in human terms, I would say his heart is breaking over what's happening. My soul is troubled in John 12, 27. And what will I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this hour, I have come. This is why I'm here. He's got the cross coming. He's got the betrayal coming. He's got the, the reality of all the disciples scattering and running as far away from him as they can get. He's got all of this happening in a relatively short period of time. We get to the end of the chapter, it'll be before the rooster crows. So the Lord says, man, my, my spirit is troubled. This is the concern of Christ. We're going to reveal, he's going to reveal right now the, the betrayer. We're going to see it here in John. And the first thing he says, look, I have this deep concern. The second part we see in verse 22 through 26, the confusion of the disciples. The disciples are going to go, what is going on? Because they don't know. What does he say? He says, the disciples looked at one another, uncertain of whom he spoke. <clears throat> one of his disciples, whom Jesus loved, was reclining at table at Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned him to ask Jesus about who was he speaking. So we know John is there with his back up against uh, Jesus' breast. They would eat in a circle, reclining. So if you can kind of picture it in your head, one guy would lay here, prop up on his left Elbow, eat with his right. The next guy would lay inside of him, inside of him, inside of him, inside of him. You have this circle. John is at Jesus' front. Jesus' eyes see John. He's on the right hand. Judas is on the left. He, he is on Jesus' back. So Judas is right behind Jesus. John right in front of them as they circle. We know from the other Gospels, right, they start going, what, what does he mean? Who's betraying him? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Right? You guys have read the other Gospels, right? Just nod occasionally so the preacher knows you're listening. <laughs> so, <clears throat> so we've read the other Gospels. We know that the disciples, they, they say, is it me? Who will betray him? Who will betray him? There's a lot of talk, a lot of things going on. If you look at the synoptics, you'll get a fuller picture of the confusion at dinner. You, have you ever ate dinner with 12 men? You might say, well, if I ate with dinner with 12 men, it would be totally silent. No, that's only if a woman's there. 
This is just like the, if a tree falls in the woods and no one's there, do you hear it? I'm going to solve one of the great mysteries for you. Men are not silent. Most of the time, we're just afraid of getting in trouble. You put a pile of men around a circle, you come to the men's breakfast to see if there's no talking going on. Those guys, men can talk. And so sometimes it gets passion, and sometimes it gets loud, sometimes more than one guy's talking at a time. Can you imagine such a thing? <laughs> so this is what's happening at this meal while Jesus is talking about the betrayer, and everybody around the table is going, whoa, 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 what did he say, betrayer? Did, did he say, who's the betrayer? You get the confusion. So Peter, wherever he's at in the circle, looks over at John, and he gets John's attention. Peter did this. John is Peter's patsy. Every time Peter wants somebody to do something, John's close to Jesus. Hey, hey, John, find out who it is. Right? So that's what's going on. This is what's happening here. Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of whom he was speaking. So that disciple, leaning back against Jesus, said to him, Lord, who is it? So this conversation is an inside conversation happening between John and Jesus while all the other guys around the table are saying, who is it, Lord, is it me, Lord, is it me, Lord, is it me, right? Look in the other Gospels, you'll see it, you'll, you'll begin to understand. I'll read one of them for you in just a minute. And then Jesus answered and said to John, who's right there, right? John's right here inside, Jesus is looking right at the 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 side of John's head, <clears throat> he says to him, it is he whom I will give this morsel of bread after I've dipped it. So when he had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas. Handed it to Judas. So John knows. Now the events are going to pick up and move with greater speed. And here's what I want you to understand. You're the only one who knows what that betrayal looks like. Right? You're the only one who knows that betrayal is going to happen that night. You're the only one who knows that betrayal is going to lead to crucifixion. They're all probably trying to wrap their mind around, okay, so John's thinking, Judas, he gave the bread to Judas. What does that mean? And then what the scripture is going to tell us immediately, look at verse 27. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. So you have the betrayer exposed and confronted and driven to a decision. And the decision is, since you are the betrayer, let's get to betraying. Go. Now from this moment, the rest of the farewell addresses are all going to be to the disciples who are still there. Judas is on his way to get 30 pieces of silver. So Jesus is emptying the room of the pretender, the betrayer, and he is going to focus on those who believe. Scripture tell us, tells us that Judas never believed. Jesus said that. Jesus said he knew those who do not believe. John 6, 64. But there are some of you who do not believe. 
For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. So, look, he says, Judas is going to get up. Satan has entered into him, and he's going to leave the room. Now, the rest of the guys who are all clamoring for who is it? Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Uh, Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Matthew 26 21, I'll just read this for you. It says, and as they were eating, he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is it I, is it I, is it I? That's what I told you. He answered, it's he who, who he, do, 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 do. It's only so many minutes in a day. I hate to waste them on stuttering. Okay, let's try it again. He answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. Now, I want you to hear what this part of Matthew, because it's important <clears throat> to the idea that Jesus began with, I know those whom I've chosen. When Jesus said, it's the ones who have dipped with me, who had dipped with him? Everybody at the table. When he gets arrested, where are they going? The Bible prophetically tells us he's going to stand alone. They scatter, right? They are going to run for the hills. Yes, Peter will verbally deny him. Yes, Judas will sell him for 30 pieces of silver, but they're all going to bail. Because, ladies and gentlemen, we are all broken. We are all sinners we have character flaws, and God knows that about us. And he loves you anyway. Despite it all. He knows. He doesn't, we're not here to be broken, use as an excuse, and never be whole. You know, the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that it is by his stripes... We are made whole. I know, I know. You say the Bible says by his stripes we are healed. Yes, but the word for healed is wholeness. Because of his suffering, you are made whole. Because you can have a relationship now with the unbroken one. You who are broken can have a relationship with the unbroken one, and that relationship will cause you to grow through discipleship. And you will become what God knows you are capable of, not what you are. We're able to do abundantly more than we think. We want to see, Scripture goes on to tell us, all right? The disciples make a conclusion. Judas leaves. No, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Go, what you do, do quickly. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, we need more food. Go buy some food. We need something for the feast. Or that he should give something to the poor. Go, go give offering. <laughs> We're so dumb. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out. Here's the phrase. And it was night. Dark night. The night of Gatshmone, 
Gethsemane, the night of betrayal. Before the sun comes up, you see the clock ticking? Jesus knows the disciples totally clueless. It's another day. Look, every time, just so we can kind of wrap our minds around it, every single time tragedy strikes in a family and nobody saw it coming and the destruction that goes through that family, the despair, the depression, the panic, that's what's going to happen to the disciples. They just never see it coming. You and I, when we read the scriptures, it's like an accident that takes forever to happen. We see it for quite a while. But they don't. And Sometimes we need to tap into that reality, right? The emotion of what's going on in the gospel as this is going on. So the disciples reach a conclusion. Judas leaves. Jesus is going to make a purpose. He's going to make a... a uh, He's going to make some things that he wants them to hold on to. The rest of the discourses, the farewell discourses, will be between these disciples and Christ. Now, when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify him in himself and glorify him without delay. Now, here is the glory of Jesus Christ. The glory of Jesus Christ is the cross. That's the glory. So when he's talking about the glory, he's like, man, now is the Son of Man glorified. He's headed to the cross. It's the night before. He's headed to the cross, and he says, the Son of Man is glorified, the Father is glorified, and the Father will glorify him because Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. And he says, and this glory, there is no more delay. It happens now. At once. Here we go. And when he says it, he says, verse 33, this is a phrase John's going to use frequently. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, and now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is saying, it's my time to die, and it's not your time yet. Now, this is so that we can understand what he's talking about when he says, the Son of Man is glorified. He's going to the cross. The work of the cross is what brings salvation. So he's pointing to the glory of the Son of Man, the glory of the Father, the glorification of the resurrection, and the fact that there's no more delay. Here it comes. We're headed to it right away. And so John would write to us in 1 John 4, 19. We love, why? Because he first loved us. We see the expression taking place here. Where I am going You cannot come. So he's going to give them a new commandment, an attitude, a relationship, an attitude of relationship that you and I are commanded to have. This is not a suggestion. He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Oh, wait, that's not new. Leviticus 19.8. God says the same thing. 
In Leviticus 19.8, it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Loving one another is not new. The word for new is the word fresh, and there's another clause I haven't read yet that's going to define it a little further. He's saying there's a fresh commandment, a fresh standard. What's the fresh standard? How are we supposed to love one another? As I have loved you. Now, they don't understand yet, but in a couple days, they will. All the times Jesus said, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. They don't understand what in the world he's talking about. What's a cross got to do with anything? You and I, we understand. We're at the other side. We know the end of the story. The disciples, we, we give them a bad rap because they're confused. I confuse people on a regular basis with things I think are simple. I confuse my wife more than anybody. We'll sit down, she'll ask me a question. Cracks me up. When, when we were first doing the video stuff, um, YouTube, Carl told me, Jackie, you got to get your videos down to five minutes. Have you thought of a biblical topic you could finish talking about in five minutes? Really? You could be on my next video. I'm filming tomorrow, so you show up. What is the, what is, five minutes? Kathy will sit down and goes, okay, so I have a question. Could you explain to me the hypostatic union? What is that? Oh, yeah. That's 400 pages in my systematic theology. You want the quick answer? Reader's Digest version. Jesus is fully God, fully man. There you go. How's that work? That's usually the next question. How's that work? Oh, oh, now five minutes is gone. But we'll spend 2,000 years talking about that. When we look at these things, we want to understand. Look, the disciples are confused. They don't understand what's coming. They don't know what's happening. So Jesus, when he says, I want you to love one another like I have loved you. Peter has yet to experience the greatest moment of love he'll ever point to in his whole life. Do you know when it is? He's going to be standing around a fire while Jesus is being beaten just on the edge of the firelight. He he can see him over there. And three people are going to walk up to Peter and say, aren't you with Jesus? And he's going to look over there and say, no, I don't know him. No, yeah, you have the same accent. You guys are both from Alabama. (laughs) Same, Same idea, right? You talk like a Galilean. Yeah, uh, weren't you with him? Oh, no, I wasn't with him. I wasn't with him. All the way to cursing. The Gospel of Luke's the only Gospel that tells us that as he, as he denies him the third time, the rooster's going to crow, and Jesus, with his tired, worn, beaten face, is going to look right in Peter's eyes. Then Peter's going to turn around, run out, and weep. How? Bitterly. He's going to be pretty sure I'm done. He's pretty sure this is all over for me, right? And the Lord is going to express to him the greatest picture of love in his entire life. 
And then he's going to remember, he said to me, a new commandment, a fresh commandment. I want you to love one another like I have loved you. Anybody here been forgiven by Christ? Then you don't get to not forgive. Anybody in here been loved by Christ? Then there's nobody you don't get to love. Anything Christ has done for you, you don't get to withhold from someone else. You just don't get to. He says one another. We're talking about brethren, right? We're talking about in the family of God. We should be able to be unified here above all places. <coughs> we should be able to love one another. Look what he says in verse 35. By this, all people will know you are my disciples. We've heard this before, right? By how you love each other. There was a saying by uh, Minicus Felix in Rome. He writes of Cassilius. Cassilius, he's quoting Cassilius in Rome, and this is what he said about believers. The lo they love one another before they even know each other. That was what the, the Roman press was saying about believers. Is that what the Roman press says about believers today? Did we get off track somewhere? The Roman press said they love each other before they know them. They know each other. That's not the kind of press we have today, right? We probably need to get on our knees about that, no? We probably need to have our hearts convicted and Confession flowing from our mouths that God would help us love like he loves. You know, Romans chapter 5, first five verses tell us that the love of God, the love that comes from God that Jesus is asking you to express to one another is poured out in your life by the Holy Spirit. So it's not that you don't have it. We want to be able to express this. Now Jesus is going to point to the problem. We, we talked this whole time, right, that Jesus said, I know who I chose. I know who I chose. Yes, he knew Judas was a betrayer, and yes, he knew about Peter. And he knew about the rest of them. He knew that John was going to be at the foot of the cross so that he could look down at John and say to his mother, Mother, behold your son. And to John, he could say, Son, behold your mother. And from that moment on, John would take care of Jesus' mother. They are both buried in Ephesus where John died of old age. The only disciple to die of old age. It was not for lack of trying. They tried to kill him, but it <clears throat> turned out he was made of tougher stuff. So we look, Jesus is going to expose this issue. Look, John 13, 36, 38, last thing. Four minutes, we can make it. No, you guys know we're not going to make it. <clears throat> Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? I'm going somewhere you can't come. Peter, Simon Peter goes, wait a minute, what do you mean? Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now. Listen to this phrase, but you will follow me after. You will follow me after. <laughs> you don't get to come with me now, but you will have your day. And I think, ultimately, later on, this is an encouragement for Peter. I'll explain to you why in just a minute. 
Verse 37, Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay my life, I will lay down my life for you. Indeed, the flesh is willing. Spirit, spirit is willing and the flesh is weak, right? And so we see the, this buildup, right? We see this, this, this desire of Peter. He's like, man, I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to die for you. And I think even on the day that Jesus arrested, that was Peter's goal. He was scared. He didn't do a very good job, but he wanted to die with Jesus. Right? What did he do? How do you, how do you die in Rome? Pull a sword and swing it at somebody. Right? Roman legions are not stupid. Did he swing it at a Roman soldier? No. He picked a, a um, yeah, I always want to say altar boy. That's not it. But might as well be. So one of the, one of the other guys, Mal, uh, Malchus, he swings at him and chops off his ear. I'm a little confused by that, by the way. How did he do that? I don't know. Baseball swing? And Malchus ducked and turned his head? If he was chopping down like this, you go through the ear, it just keeps going, don't it? Maybe it bounced off. I don't know. Peter wanted to die, but Jesus told him, you can't follow me. You can't follow me. Jesus wanted Peter to live for him. Paul would tell us this. Dying's easy. For me, for me to live is Christ. To die is gain. Right? I, dying, I can go be there. Hallelujah. But living, that's a little tougher. And Peter's call was to live. Peter says, Lord, I, I'm going to die with you. So he says to him, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, I say to you. Think how shocking this is. The rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. It's night. The rooster's going to be crowing in a few hours. We're in John 13. We got a long ways to go. Several chapters dealing with the final hours. Peter, you'll deny me before the rooster crows. In Matthew 26, listen to what Matthew has to say about this. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said, Though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, even if I must die, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. We won't flee. Jesus started by saying, I know who I have chosen. I know. First John 3.16, John, the same John would write this. By this we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. A new commandment I give unto you. John, who at one time was called the son of thunder for wanting to call down fire from heaven and eat up the people, 
becomes the disciple of love. Luke 22, last thing we're going to read. I just want you to hear this. This is why I think this is all leading up to the greatest show of love that Peter's going to refer back to, I think, over and over again in his life. In Luke twenty-two thirty-one, it says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you so that he might sift you as wheat. Satan says you have character flaws. You're going to fail. And he wants you. He wants to con- convince you that that's all you will ever be. But verse 32 says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. What does the Bible teach us about Jesus in his interceding for us? Hebrews and Romans tell us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. He is praying for the beloved. I pray for you that your faith may not fail. Listen to this. And when you have returned again, Strengthen your brethren. How are the brethren going to be strengthened? Peter's going to say to himself, I'm a failure. How can I strengthen anybody? I'm a failure. I messed up. I've screwed up so many times. I got a big mouth. I put my foot in it all the time. How am I going to strengthen the brethren? Because you, Peter, can teach them how to love like Jesus loved you. Because you understand more than anyone else. You understand how God loves you through your character flaws. How Jesus loved you in spite of your sin. You know how he loved you. A new command I give, go love one another. Strengthen your brethren. Peter said, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Jesus said, the rooster will not crow this day until you deny three times that you know me. Look, we all want to be better. I want to be better. I want to... I I would like it if one day I woke up and I was never angry again. That's what I would like. I've been angry for 56 years. Uh, I don't don't like it. I don't like it when it flares up. It don't usually happen here, you know. It happens at my dog. happens maybe at my wife and kids. Super close friends might happen there. You might catch a little singe on your beard. But I know how Christ has loved me through it. And it helps me understand how to love my brothers and sisters through theirs. Whatever it is. As soon as we get over the idea that you and I are going to be behave perfectly. The sooner we'll find ourselves behaving better the sooner we'll find ourselves becoming more like Christ. 
Because it's not me, my positive willpower doing it. It's Jesus doing it. It's the power of his spirit working in our life. Recognize that God says, the Lord says, I know whom I have chosen. And according to Ephesians 1.4, he chose you. So if the Lord chose you, and he knows you, and he loves you, and he calls you to love each other the way he loves you, wouldn't it be great if tomorrow you turned on the news and CNN said, them dang Christians, they love each other before they even know each other. I've got a lot of other things to say, but that's not one of them. And before you think it's different, last I checked, CNN didn't feed no Christians to lions yet. The United States hasn't begun feeding Christians to lions yet, but they were then. And I don't want you to lose this. I want you to keep this in your mind. Fox's Book of Martyrs talks about it. There's a few illustrations that talk about believers gathered up being put to death in horrific ways. And the love for one another and their love for the Lord and their worship in the middle of all of that bringing people who are watching to want to stand with them. That is the power of the church. And that needs to be our goal as we walk with Christ. Amen? Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity we have to study. We, 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 I just pray, Lord, I pray, God, you know, um, <clears throat> spe- speaking never was probably one of the talents that I had. God, you know the heart I want to get across. And I, so I just pray that message goes through. The words are wrong, you just wash them out. I know your words are true, and every man a liar. I know, God, that you are calling us to things that are beyond our capabilities, but we find our strength in you. 169 times Paul says we are in Christ Jesus, that we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that all the promises of God are in Christ Jesus. Yes and amen. God, I just pray, Lord, we would understand. We come, we enter into Christ Jesus. When we hear the words of the Father, we respond. Jesus said in John chapter 5, he said, uh, to the Pharisees, if you believed Moses, you would believe me. So they didn't believe Moses. When you hear the Father's voice, call. Some people don't ever hear the Father's voice. Reject it. Turn from it, rebel. But when we hear the Father's voice, we come to Christ. It's not about prayer we prayed it all begins somewhere lifting our eyes to heaven and asking the God of the universe 
follow you. Save me, God. Only people that make that kind of a call on the Lord from their heart are those who understand. My life is to be a life being discipled so that I may become like him. Jesus called his disciples and said, come follow me. If you don't know Jesus, I hope you will hear his voice calling you and you will say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I want to be like you. I want you to forgive me. I want you to pour your blood out over me. I want you to cover me in your righteousness. I want to follow you all the days of my life. And I want to learn to love my brethren like you said. They will all know you are my disciples by how you love each other. God, I pray that that would become abundantly clear in the body. Lord, I pray that you would move in our midst, accomplish your purpose among us, Lord God. I pray that your word would accomplish the goal, Lord, that you would draw those unto yourself that you have called, that you are calling that they will follow you all the days of their life. Pray, Lord God, that you would help us to disciple one another, encourage one another in the word, encourage one another in our walks. I pray, Lord God, you would be glorified by the life we live individually and by the lives we live together collectively so that when we see your face next we will hear well done good and faithful one and we will cast our crowns at your feet and give you all the glory for it is all about you in Jesus name Amen Amen